Welcome everyone to this quick take from Tech Cars Machines, born out of our recent trip to CES. CES, as uh, we've indicated in some of our own uh, recent podcasts, is really becoming almost the most important auto show in the world. And along with that, and what really makes autos uh, especially uh, different today, is all the various features that help the driver be better, safer, uh, less tired, and ultimately potentially have that car be autonomous in the way it behaves on our roads, at least most of the time and maybe eventually all of the time. One of the key, um, one of the key technologies associated with making all of that happen are the people who sit really between the sensors and uh, that ultimate actuation information that the vehicle um, generates to auto steer or auto brake or, or, or implement many of its other functions. And those are the folks that do sensor fusion, meaning they take a lot of the information in from the various inputs and provide a consolidated output to the rest of the vehicle to, to process. Uh, our guest today is one of those companies, the chief executive of one of those companies. The company is LetterTech, and our guest is Charles Boulanger. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly, Charles? Yeah, pretty good, Danny. Yeah, French is pretty good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, as you can uh, maybe guess from Charles's last name, Boulanger, and the way it's pronounced, the company itself is actually based in Canada, in Quebec City, Canada, to be uh, 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 to be exact. Um, I'll ask uh, Charles to provide us more information from the so the banking point of view, if you will. The salient pieces of information that I have to add before turning it over to Charles is that the company in November of uh, 2021 did a very significant Series D. Our systems show it as a $140 million Series D, so a very well-funded company and a major player in this space. And I'll turn it over to Charles to tell us where the company comes from, where it is today, and to really make any corrections to my introduction, if you so see fit. Good. Uh, thank you, Ali. Uh, maybe just to to clarify so for some people, the company here, you know, LetterTech was created in 2007. And uh, as an essentially a spin-off of the Optical Research Center, we have in Quebec City uh, the second largest research center in the world in optics and photonics. And that uh, Lerotech is essentially a spin-off of that company. I'm not the founder of the company. I joined the company in 2013. I was brought in by investors to help the company for three months. And I'm still here. <laughs> so given the interesting potential here. So my wife is not super happy with that, but that's that's part of the of it. Uh, and uh, today, the company uh, we're about two hundred people headquartered in Quebec City, as you mentioned, Ali. Uh, with uh, our main development centers are uh, besides Quebec City, Montreal, Toronto, as well as Israel. So we've got about two thirds of employee uh, development employees in 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 Canada, and about one third in Israel, and several people in China. The U.S. and and Europe uh, and Japan and Korea as well. So that's uh, and uh, the company started. Uh, I mentioned uh, as uh, being an, a a, uh, a spin-off of a research center in optics photonics. The interesting part is people know have known us until very recently as a lidar company, and uh, we've been doing working in lidar for quite some time. And uh, but the origin of the company is really signal processing of a light signal, basically. That's how we came out. And the, the core technology that LedArtec started with was um, a very unique, you know, patented technology in how to better, uh, you know, uh, handle the whole signal chain of light. And so that, and found application in the LiDAR space. So we've been in that, an application that, and doing this, and we we do sell LiDAR since 2012. We're, part, we're one of the company probably that sells 
uh, I'd say in number, the most high are in the world. We're selling about 9,000 units a year outside of the automotive. That's what we've been doing for quite some time. So people don't really know that, but we have very long-term customers in smart uh, smart industries, smart cities, um, and all sorts of applications, you know, drones, uh, uh, even level sensing, for example. So all sorts of uh, application, you know, uh, uh, speed enforcement, uh, traffic lights control, uh, industrial industrial applications. So, and we've been doing that. And the but really our goal was was really to push our technology more than than the um, than the than doing hardware. And when we got into the automotive, because we were sort of pulled into the automotive, people wanted us to develop more implementation of this so they could see the whole benefit. So we got essentially pulled into hardware. But the origin of the company is really, really software. And that, that's really what we wanted to play. And even in the LiDAR space, uh, you know, maybe it was not clear for the broader market, but we never position ourselves as a LiDAR maker, but really a, a component supplier. Component, very specific technology that were responding to very specific uh, uh, complex, complex problems or difficulties to surmount in, in the LiDAR, uh, in making, making automotive LiDAR, low cost and uh, reliable LiDAR. And that drove us gradually towards more, you know, um, uh, proving that. And, you know, event, you know, when we wanted to improve, you know, and demonstrate more the capabilities there, we went into perception. Like every, every LiDAR company you see today doing perception and trying to, you know, see how we could improve perception. And when we started working on perception back in 2018, we we sort of uh, realized and asked ourselves the questions that, you know, when we started seeing the, the what was as play and what, what, how we could improve the signal and found out basically, if I make this short, that the real problem was not perception. The real problem is how you fuse the signal between the various sensors. And uh, it was a more difficult problem than perception. And um, so we, and, and then we asked the question, was it, what is really that the OEM wants? Is it really the best LiDAR and the best radar and the best camera? Or is it really the most reliable, low-cost, actionable data? They don't really care, you know, what's behind it. If they can have something reliable, that's, you know, that's low-cost and, you know, allows them to develop the system. And that's how we started working on multimodal early fusion, early data fusion. I'll explain in a couple of minutes what this is. And that, that's what really led us to, 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 to do this. And the more we, we looked into it, the more we were convinced that the, the uh, incumbent way or the, the way people do fusion today, which is object fusion, was just a dead end street. And uh, so uh, uh, and along, we continued developing that. We acquired a company in Israel in early 2020, and we focused. And we reorganized in two business units, LiDAR components and, and the sensor fusion. And back when we did this financing that you, you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, at that point with our investor, we said, no, we're going to be totally focusing on, on the opportunity on software perception and fusion perception software, where we see a more immediate market closer than LiDAR and a more differentiated position for us than LiDAR is. So that's why essentially we made the move to a pure software, uh, software play, if you wish. And uh, we uh, we have adopted more of a licensing approach uh, with our LiDAR components, which we're presently working on, and uh, and divesting the uh, the module business itself. You know that we that we sell basically the, that is underway. So that, that's that's where we're coming from, basically from from uh, from the angle. Um, 
So in terms of market we focus, we focus mainly in the automotive and off-road, you know, construction, um, ag, uh, you know, smart agriculture and, you know, mining type of things. And, and, and why automotive? Some could say, oh, there's all sorts of other opportunities, but it's because the automotive is where the fusion is the most problematic and difficult. What the OEMs are, are, are caught with at the moment is having to deal with various sensors. Every sensor today do their own perception. They have their own, uh, let's say, uh, perception engine and, uh, you know, AI neural nets that basically takes the data from the sensors and output to the objects. And either the tier ones or the OEM level, they integrate all of that. They make, uh, with all these objects, they make what we call an environmental model on which then they get their, what we do, we do the driving policy. That's how the stack is built. You know, the driving policy typically uh, would be developed by the OEM. At least they more and more, they want to control that part and uh, on the, of the software. And that's how, how it's handled. Um, and uh, a couple of problems with object fusion. First, before talking about the problem, why object fusion is there is because the whole thing started with one sensor and you wanted to make sense with one sensor. So you, you took the one sensor and you say, okay, what's there? You the object. And so that, that, that's how the industry develops. So the sensor maker were developing, you know, essentially the perception engine for their own sensors. Same thing for the radar. So everybody developed this separately. And the OEM or the tier ones was essentially stocked with object list, you know, basically to, to optimize. And that today, that's how sensor have been specced for various ADAS application. People say, oh, well, we need this performance of the sensor level if you are, if we won't have these objects. To be able to 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 structure uh, you know an environmental model, so in that model you first you first identify object, then you fuse. The, the The issue with this approach is first you filter most of the information coming from the sensors, because you're essentially your output is object lists that are classified. But if you if there was let's say a pedestrian that you just see a piece of it, let's say an arm and a and a leg, but not enough to 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 box it you lose 100% of that information. Also, as you grow up in number of, uh, of sensors for more higher level of performance, the only way you could improve performance is by having either more performing sensors or more sensors. So your, sky, your, your costs are skyrocketing, basically, as you try to increase the performance. You're also increasing very, very rapidly the computing demand because you you multiply you go from two sensors to ten sensors you have five times the computing your fusion is even more complex behind it so all of that is make it very very difficult then the last piece that's very difficult for the OEM is if you want to change a piece of the hardware let's say you you one of your hardware guy come with a new camera cheaper with double number of pixels your software guys gets no, no, no way. Come in three years when we go the next release of software. I'm not going to be doing a new software, a new neural net. We won't be going to train for a year and then and then qualify and certify for another year. So you're stuck with a software development chain that's essentially tied to the hardware, because the the software and the hardware are it's it, you know the the software piece of a, of the perception is linked to the hardware itself. So the, this this is a major problem to scale you know, rapidly to diminish the cost of development and to go from, let's say, a Ford Focus to a F-150. So a, a company like like uh, 
Ford, for example, would have like 20 different ADAS software they have to maintain in parallel because they have different sensor sets. And if they want to change the, the body, they move the sensor, just moving the sensors, you have to retrain the neural net. It's tremendous amount of work and delays and costs that are involved in there. So that's object fusion. What we do is the opposite, sort of. We first fuse raw signal from various sensors. What's unique here, very difficult to do, is we fuse 2D sensors, 3D sensors, active sensors, and passive sensors, uh, map, GPS, all of that into an environmental model. So we first create from all the raw data of the sensor an environmental model. You have to maintain on-the-fly calibration. You have to reset you know, all sensors to come with, a, with a, something that makes sense. And that, that's one of the key. On top of that, we apply our own technology of upsampling, which increases the, you know, the, uh, the definition of all that, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that input or that output. Really. And what we do then is with this, we create what we call an abstract environmental model. So it's a sort of a layer between the sensor and their own, the neural net. So the neural net doesn't really see the sensor output. It sees an environmental model and it's trained on that. So you train it once, then you can change the sensors behind it. You could add a camera, you could add a, you know, let's say a two megapixel or four megapixel instead of a 1.2, only three, 4% retraining instead of 100% retraining. You know, and your model will work right off the bat. You will just optimize with this, with this three to four percent retraining. <clears throat> this is because essentially the sensors, the, the the neural net doesn't see really the output of the sensor. It just sees this environmental model. If you add more sensors, your environmental model, of course, is better, a better quality with more information. But it's the same. It's the same format. It's the same, the same for the uh, for the neural, neural net. So right there, as you could see, there's a there's a big benefit in terms of scalability and flexibility that you could add to the OEM. Uh, what this allows basically is to have only one software for your whole, whole chain from level two to level five. And you could go from basic, let's say one camera, one radar, or one camera, two radar, to four radar, four camera, add LIDAR, add, add um, you know, sonars, and you know, for parking, for example, and stuff like that. But it's the same software chain that you have. You don't have, and you don't have to retrain everything all the time. So that that's a huge benefit. Having only one software, being able to handle the various features. So, for example, we launch at the CES an early, you know, a uh, entry level front, uh, you know, with with one camera, two radar, a high level, uh, high quality, higher quality front, a surround system, and a parking all running on the same software, different different sets of sensors, all running on the same software. So that is for the OEM, uh, you know, what that we may met at CS, you know, a huge, a huge benefit for them. You know, that's really something they're really keen on. But the, the other thing that this does is it, it moves the, it, it sort of stretch also the possibilities in two sides, one lowering the cost and the other side is increasing performance. What was really striking for most of the conference that came, you know, at the show, we demonstrated the, demonstrated the show that a 1.2 megapixel camera, 120 degree of uh, field of view, with two corner lidar, short range corner lidar, spec at 70 meters, 
a camera spec at maximum 100 meter and qualified to 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 essentially you know um, discriminate object up to 70 meter, we were able to do over 150 meters with that. And and the reason for that is because fusing the raw signal, you the radar longitudinal precision compensate for the weakness of the longitudinal imprecision of the camera. And reversely, the, the lateral or angular imprecision of the radar is compensation by the angular precision of the camera. So you're able to extend the range to where the radar is able to send uh, echoes and to where the camera is able to see, even though it's a few pixels. So I was in the car, even myself, and we were able to box cars at 200 meters live and with a 1.2 megapixel camera people could not believe we were doing that so so that that's really uh you know one so that's one example of the capabilities of raw data fusion same thing all the the edge cases that we demonstrate that occluded object uh you know and I, one one demo that I, I like very much is when we fuse for example camera and lidar and uh, no radar and we're following uh, another car in a dirt road, you know, that goes very, um, you know, winding dirt road. And there's dust coming, you don't see the car, you just see essentially a cloud of dirt. And we're tracking and following the other car with two only two sensors that are both optical sensors. But, and it's, it's really, really interesting because you look at it, you literally don't see the car. But the sensors are able to do it because you're combining at the rather data fusion level. So pretty interesting on that on that front. What it does essentially, if you how you apply that. So one may want to apply that in the lower level of fusion of, of sorry of uh, ADAS, and basically say I'm going to reduce the cost of my entry level. Let's say front, you know, ACC type of thing. <clears throat> so instead of having an eight megapixel camera. You're gonna have 1.2 and 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 and, and front radar or, or radar and corner radar. I'm gonna have only 1.2 uh, megapixel camera with two two very short range radar radar. <clears throat> so without the system cost, you do you do more performance. So stretching to have more deployment of your early stage system. And then the other thing you're doing is essentially the makers today of lidar or radar or camera. And we, we we talked to all of these guys on the floor. <clears throat> We're saying, I remember one one radar guy. He gets pressured by the tier ones that get the pressure from the OEM to have a higher performance radar and try to reduce the cost. And we were telling them, okay, here you can expand the life of your existing radar by having twice the range that you think you have, but you're expanding by software, not by hardware. Because early the early data fusion allows you to expand performance by software instead of increasing the cost of your hardware. <clears throat> so it resonates a lot, not only at the OEM level, but with all the sensor provider as well. Uh, that you know, that see a high demand for increasing the performance, and it will clearly what we've demonstrated is uh, it will clearly uh, um, expand the capabilities of camera and radar. In, in, you know, uh, and pushing maybe some of the LiDAR aspect, depending on some use case will always need LiDAR. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> the um, 
clearly this expands the capabilities of combination of uh, camera and radar. So it's very interesting for all, all of these guys. So, um, and, and the tier ones out of that, you know, and, you know, you're probably asking myself, uh, you know, asking yourself, uh, well, Charles, there's other solution today, like Mobileye, now there's, uh, there's the Arriver guys with the Qualcomm, and a few of these guys, where, you know, all of the solutions you have in the market are basically vision-based. The fusion that you see is vision-based, Mobileye is vision, uh, Arriver, uh, Qualcomm is vision, all of these people, what they do basically is vision. Uh, you have some people that do radar fusion, but only radar. But people that do multimodal fusion, that's that's really, you know, we're really at the at the forefront of that commercializing that. We don't know any other, other company that is able to get to that point. So clearly, you know, the OEM, from what we read, want to get out of the black box approach, which has been so far the mobile approach. Very performing, very high market share. A lot of our tier ones are presently sort of distributing this or integ- I should say rather integrating that solution. And um, we understand that the OEM wants to get out of that model because it doesn't allow them to control the full stack. With our approach, basically, although it's a product, we sell it as a product, but the way you should see it, it's like a tool. Basically, it's a toolkit that you give to the OEM or the tier ones, depending on how the OEM wants to deal on that portion of the, the, but the OEM stays in full control of the whole stack. He chooses a sensor. He could create more competitor at sensor level because he can interchange them. But he does decide which which sensor he will will take. He does decide which uh, microcontroller he will take, what his architecture is going to be there. And he still puts his own IP on all the driving policy and how he will differentiate himself back there. The only thing we give, we, we do essentially, it's a tool that bundles every, all the information together, creates an, an environmental model, which is essentially like a single door to open to all the dealings you have with your, your, your suppliers, your supply chain. So you don't have to bother anymore with, oh, when is going to be the next release of the software or the new uh, camera that I'm dealing with this supplier A and this other guy, the radar, oh, it's not. It's going to be the you know June of next year. This guy is going to be May of the year following that. How do you, as an OEM, try to get your next development system and your your all your 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 chain supply chain logistics here when you want to move from you know various programs to to program or or different levels? It's a nightmare to manage. So we essentially offer that with that solution. It's a software. We license that. It's a license per car basically model with you know some maintenance fee basically and uh, you know uh, 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 an initial license cost and then it's per car uh, that that's the model the kind of the uh, business model and the OEM then have access to or it could be the tier one that could want that could be wanting to develop his own system because not all OEMs will will be as you know uh as articulate you know sophisticated enough to develop their own chain. Some prefer to deal with tier one, some other will really want to control it. But in, in both cases, we allow them to basically have some sort of a single place where they have this abstract model. And if you were to look at the abstract model, it's we call it an RGBDV type model, which essentially gives you a camera output with every pixel adding depth and vectors on speed. So it's 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 like a simulation tool basically on which you could develop your your uh, 
your driving policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it's very similar to the simulation tool they, they are using today, as a matter of fact, to develop their driving policies. So, um, so then in a nutshell, that's what we do. I know that's been a long introduction, but uh, it gives you at least a, a good idea here of what we do. No, that was perfect, uh, Charles. Thank you very much. Uh, one of the things that's interesting that really came through loud and clear in your description is if we look at this ADAS environment right now, it's clear that Mobileye has a very strong uh, position and a lot of the OEMs are um, going ahead and utilizing Mobileye despite many of the concerns that they have uh, because they need to get somewhere fast. The OEMs need to get somewhere fast. But the automotive industry, as much as any industry of its size really in the world that I know of, is extremely sensitive to being able to uh, assemble the vehicle in exactly the way it wants from, from the individual component on up through and including the user experience, the driver experience, which you refer to, I think, I think is the driving policy of the vehicle. To me, it sounds like what you're assembling is that um, uh, the, 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 the environment where the automobile companies can continue to be the way they like to be, which is quite bespoke, not in terms of the features they deliver, but also in terms of the costs that they have to absorb for various levels yeah. of uh, autonomy. Um, number one, is that correct? And my second question would be, how do you? How does your system then integrate with, um, uh, let's say the the Helms, uh, the Auto Brain, some of these other uh, individuals who are also part of that stack, which would be used to mimic a, a turnkey solution for Mobileye? Well, <clears throat> um, if I go to with your first uh, question, you're totally right. I think, uh, well, not I think, but that's a feedback we get from OEM and tier ones. What we have to offer, especially OEM, honestly. Uh, I'll, I'll say why uh, in a couple of minutes to uh, tier ones, it's not the same. But the OEM is very compelling because we offer them something they absolutely want, and they, they, it, which is a big issue for them today. Running, you know, your various program of ADAS is 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 uh, first costly. It takes a lot of resources that you need elsewhere. Example, in electrification, you have to run several program in parallel, and as soon as you put AI into it. It's training, training, and training. Mm-hmm. You change something, you have to retrain. It's like, you know, a dead end street. It, they've all recognized that. And by the way, most sophisticated OEM have started working on, on uh, low-level fusion. Some people call that low-level fusion early or AI fusion. But none have made it work yet. So we are we have made it work. So when we've demonstrated it. The other point also why it's important in, in the automotive is we've made it work. What we've demonstrated on this uh, front uh, one camera, two radar, we, we run, we, sorry, we run this on a TDA4, a TI, TDA4 micro, microcontroller, mm-hmm. you know, one very low cost and very low, you know, small compute capa- capabilities. We were able to get this into very low cost systems. So one of the things that we also surprised, people have known for quite some time that uh, you know, early fusion would provide probably more more uh, performance, would provide more, better performance. But what people were not expecting is how far the, this better performance would reach and how you could reduce the cost and have, you know, it put this on, on fairly reasonable computing, uh, computing microcontroller. Gotcha, gotcha. So on top of giving you, of giving the, the, uh, the OEM exactly what you said we're giving them, you know, a lot of them were surprised that we were able to reduce the cost and improving performance even more. Everyone we showed those demo about the extended range, 
could not believe it before we run them in the car. They they drop, you know, they got so it's impossible. We cannot do that. So so that is really opening an, an eye opening, you know, of uh, the capabilities. And even us, honestly, we were we knew we would have a you know great advantage in terms of flexibility and scalability and you know change. But we were not expecting this such a great improvement in the performance, mm -hmm. thus mm -hmm. allowing us to reduce the cost of the sensors and the microcontrollers. Gotcha. So that that's what the, that's element number one. Regarding the other guys that you referred to, like Elm and uh, Autobrain, uh, th these people are vision based. You know, so they do they do good fusion. They do they do essentially a, a mobile eye alternative that's uh, uh, to a certain degree maybe less black box than uh, mobile eye, probably right. more flexible. Phantom so, AI is another one, exactly. Right. Exactly. So, but these are all vision based and uh, interesting vision based and AI. By the way, what what, what uh, it's not AI, but what Mobileye does, by the way, is good product. There's a reason why <laughs> people have adopted it. So they do great things at Mobileye. But they're 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 stuck. We believe in a carcan of their business model. They've initiated this. You know, it's a it's a all included systems with the camera, with the microcontroller, with the 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 uh, the software, which is structured in such a way that's very difficult to open this and to get you know flexibility. You could you could make adaptation, but you have to go to mobile to make the adaptation. So so that's a more difficult system. So. We think we're very differentiated from the Elm people and the auto brain. It's totally two different ball game mm -hmm. that you're talking about. Yeah. The uh, auto brain and, and Elm would be something to avoid doing a mobile eye, but you're still vision. So, um, and we're, we're, we're bringing the industry to a totally different world. That's, that's two things that are totally different. Very good. Thank you. And, and uh, Charles, I know I've uh, vastly overstayed my welcome, but if I could maybe get one more uh, one more minute. In the long term, your volumes and your revenues are, are probably going to be in the automotive sector. But I also know you mentioned off-road vehicles. In the short term, where do you see your uh, your volume and revenue mix? Uh, is it still going to be automotive or there's there's vast other areas for application, it seems? Well, no, uh, honestly, uh, to the contrary, we believe first off-road uh, because uh, adoption is faster, less, uh, you know, not the different, the same regulation, not the same, same stringent uh, testing and everything. So it's different. And we're, we're also well advanced. We have an, um, a, uh, already um, an agreement with, uh, in the, this industry, uh, we're going with a tier one basically, which is Trimble. And we've announced that, so I can mention that name. So we, because we we have experience dealing in our past life in the LIDAR with various verticals in business, like agriculture, construction, and you have to be an expert in each of these verticals. So it's a fragmented industry. So you have to go through an integrator uh, or someone that knows this industry and, and, and develop products. So we, we that's why we decided to lock, uh, you know, one agreement with Trimble. We have a couple of others in the making. But Trimble is really our go-to market today in this industry. It's the number one supplier of geolocalization systems in uh, in North America for construction and agriculture, and they are and it's number one in commercial vehicle in the U.S. as well. So I mean, we th this is our way to go to market in this industry. Systems are more expensive, software is more expensive there, much less volume. Uh, but this market will start first. Automotive is going to take a couple of years uh, to 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 start uh, moving up. Uh, the the uh, the demand also on the on the automotive is you have to run on very low cost processors, 
which is also not as stringent in the other on the, in the other side of uh, the on the off road. Yeah, exactly. Charles, um, that was quite an education. Um, I certainly appreciate right. it, and I know our uh, our viewers will, and I think uh, and I think they'll they'll really understand much better, especially the ones who've known you the longest. Actually, will probably benefit the most uh, from this from this episode in terms of. Uh, what an interesting position you're carving out for yourself in the uh, in the automotive ADAS technology stack, as well as well as in the business model uh, uh, environment of the of the automotive world. So, I really appreciate you taking this time with us. Yeah, you know, you know, it was a difficult decision, you know, because we had two great businesses, right. and uh, but we found the in the software space on the fusion, we had such an advanced and differentiated position. And this, there's such a strong need, you know, I'm sure in your next podcast or when you have an OEM or tier ones talk about that, you'll see that uh, they, they have to change the model. The object fusion just doesn't scale. There's, uh, it just doesn't scale beyond level two, basically. Great. Great. Well, we'll, we'll get one of those on and, uh, and, and have them contribute as well. Thank, thank you so much, Charles, great. for this uh, great episode. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Ali. I appreciate it.